A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Leighton Hewitt, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph. We come to you the day after Roger Federer produced a masterclass of attacking play to beat Andy Murray and Novak Djokovic back-to-back to win the Western and Southern Open in Cincinnati, denying Djokovic the Masters Slam and adding yet another enticing ingredient to the mix just a week ahead of the US Open. We're going to be hearing from both Federer and Djokovic in this episode. Elsewhere, Serena Williams put concerns over her form, fitness and state of mind behind her to defeat Simona Halep in straight sets and now goes into the US Open trying to win the calendar slam and draw level with the great Steffi Graf on 22 Grand Slam titles. My name's David Law. I'm a tennis commentator for BBC Radio 5 Live and BT Sport. I'm joined from Cincinnati by my co-host Catherine Whittaker who has been reporting on the Western Southern Open over there this week. Catherine, Cincinnati, one of the few tournaments I haven't covered. You're there. What's it I'm like? There. Well, well, for a limited time only now, I am here because uh, my flight to New York is in uh, a few short hours. But uh, yes, I am currently in, uh, in Cincinnati. Well, actually, it's a bit of a con that they call it Cincinnati because I'm actually in Mason, Ohio, which is a sort of small town. It, it's the Reading of uh, of Cincinnati. What Reading is to London is what Mason is to uh, Cincinnati. Ah. But it's very very pleasant indeed. Is it is it like one of those Ryanair airports where that where you think you're in the middle of some swanky cosmopolitan city and you yeah, turn out to Luton. be in some little village about twenty miles away? Yeah, it's it's a bit Luton slash Stansted esque, but very nice indeed. So no no complaints. But yes, I am I am. Uh, for the moment, at least, still in Cincinnati and have been for the week. And as, as it happens, as a tournament, uh, like I say, I haven't been there, but it looks pretty spectacular. Four, isn't it four uh, permanent stadium stadia with, with floodlights? Yeah, it, it is sensational as a facility and it's remarkable how wonderfully well attended it is as as well because you, you you do feel a little bit like you're in not quite the middle of nowhere but you do feel like you're very much out in the suburbs and sort of when I arrived I thought where, where are all the people going to come from to fill this stadium but they do they flock from from miles around and uh, yeah as you say it's a wonderful facility um and uh, extremely well attended great atmosphere uh, great weather for the most part I think uh, yesterday was a little bit too hot 
uh, and humid. But uh, I am I am English, so you know that accounts a little bit for my complaining about the humidity. But basically, it's a great event. Excellent. All right. Well, we'll let the complaining go just this once. Now, uh, storyline-wise, my word, there was a lot going on. Obviously, Murray and Djokovic came in from Montreal, having been in the final there. It is a, it's such a big ask, isn't it, physically and mentally, just to be motivated and fit enough to go straight into another one, having been in the final there. And you could see in their body language and their and the the looks on their their faces the sort of strained expressions they both had and one thinks of the the near misses that they had in terms of going out of the tournament I remember Djokovic being three love down and the decider to David Goffin and turning that around and that was a good few rounds ago same for Murray against Grigor Dimitrov I mean he really should have lost that match by right It, it was a tough week for those two and actually a great credit to them both that they got as far as they did. Yeah, I would completely second that. It was a it was a sensational week. Uh, I think Andy Murray for me exceeded expectations um, when I when I saw him arrive in in Cincinnati. I thought, oh dear, you know this is he he looks dead on his feet and perhaps doesn't quite have the motivation to to fight through those tough matches because he'll perhaps have been thinking, you know, I've got all the match practice I need having won in Montreal, but to his credit, he didn't didn't think that and uh, fought through many, many times. He was sensational, actually. He, he seems to have found some some new depths to plunge of, of, of grit, really, specifically uh, against uh, against Grigor Dimitrov, I would say. And I've got an all-new respect for, uh, for those players that have, only a small handful of players that have won uh, Montreal or Toronto and Cincinnati back to back because uh, it, it, it looks like an extraordinary feat, a feat that I can't really imagine anyone doing. And Andy Murray did say uh, in his press conference yesterday that the plan had been actually to potentially miss Cincinnati, but uh, it, because he lost so early in, in Washington, he lost his first round in Washington, that plan obviously had to change. His plan actually had been to uh, to have two weeks before the US Open to, to rest and prepare, but uh, he had to change that at the last minute. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, I know that this perhaps wasn't factored into that thinking because, as you say, he was thinking of missing Cincinnati, but it occurs to me that, A, his best chance of getting to world number one is to do well at these Masters Series and obviously Grand Slam tournaments, so he's got to be playing them for starters. And secondly, when he won that match against Dimitrov, doesn't matter really how he won, the fact is he won and he got the extra points. It's those sort of performances that Djokovic has made a trademark over the last couple of years. I mean, Federer used to win match after match seemingly on cruise control. Djokovic, to some degree, has got that as well. But he also wins matches when he's not playing well. And, I mean, I'm not saying that Murray doesn't do that. I and mean, we found situations like that Davis Cup rubber against Gilles Simon where he turned it around but the run of the mill match when he's really tired and and struggling he's not been as good at winning those as Djokovic has hence one of the reasons why he's not been world number one yet that is the sort of statement I think that could end up getting him there yeah and that's exactly the question I asked him but slightly off the back of seeing one of your tweets expressing just those sentiments that you just have done now I asked him that in the press conference because he'd been so well, not quite bullish, but uh, the week before when he'd got back to when it was confirmed that he'd be going back to number two in the world, I asked him about that and, and he made very clear that his sights were on, were on number one. He said he didn't know for sure if it would 
be possible because it's not just dependent on him. Of course, it depends on everyone around him, but he's not content with world number two. And so I asked him whether, you know, that was where some of that extra motivation came from to, to battle through against Dimitrov. And he, he pretty much said said yes. And it was no coincidence that that very same day, just a couple of hours before, Djokovic had done pretty much exactly the same thing, battling back to win against David Goffin. So sort of the, the template was there for this is what a world number one does. And uh, Andy Murray went out and did, uh, did the same thing. So I, I think that's a very, very good point that you make. Well, thank you very much, Catherine Whitaker. You can go to Cincinnati again if you're going to get this complimentary. I'm not used to this. <laughs> uh, now, Roger Federer is probably the man we really should be talking about just at this point because not only did he win the title, there's the, there's also the, the extra element for me that he didn't play Montreal. And in fact, this is the first tournament I think he's played since Wimbledon, isn't it? And I just find that whole attitude and approach fascinating in terms of he's decided freshness is the key he wanted to play just once and I mean has he ever looked better over the course of a tournament than he just has I mean I'm sure he has because we seem to say that sort of thing a lot about Roger Federer but the guy was inventing shots the guy he was he was coming up with half volley returns and charging the net kamikaze style I mean it was it was extraordinary that you wouldn't have thought that after 16, 17 years of watching Roger Federer and about 13 of those, there's been about 10, 15 million of his fans watching every single ball he's hit, you wouldn't have thought that it was possible to actually start hitting new shots. But that's what he did. No, and I don't think he knew it was possible either. He said he just started doing it in practice for fun uh, and it sort of went quite well. And then he tried it in a match also for fun, and that went quite well. And then he did it against Kevin Anderson, and that went very well indeed. So he's just kept doing it. And it'll be very interesting to see whether he keeps on doing it at uh, the US Open. He's certainly, you can see from the look on his face when he talks about it, he's enjoying doing it. Uh, absolutely, I think. I mean, what what a joy it must be to be able to invent shots and and play that aggressively. It sounds like Stefan Edberg is very happy with him for uh, for playing that way and being that aggressive. Uh, interestingly, Djokovic was asked about that tactic that Federer used yesterday in his press conference, and and he was. I don't know whether it was just because he had, he had lost and he was obviously generally a bit despondent, but he sort of shut the question down. He said, yeah, I noticed it was something he's doing. I've got no comment about it. Sort of implying I've got lots of comment about it. I just don't I don't want want to say any of them. And, and I don't really know what to say about that because I, I, I've no idea what what Djokovic could... what issue Djokovic could have with it. But he certainly gave the impression that uh, he had... Uh, something to say about the tactic Federer was using against him but didn't want to say it. Now, as I say, maybe it could just have been uh, despondency in, in defeat, but it, it didn't come across that way. But it, as, a, as a viewer, it was, it was just sensational to watch. I mean, I think most likely his his attitude is born of the fact that it's he's just frustrated after losing and he's also exhausted. I think he needs a break and all that sort of thing. But generally, I don't think an opponent and a rival is likely to really dissect a rival, a fellow rival's strategy and, and approach to the sport particularly because they, they don't want to give too much away. But I also think that there is a chance here 
that that particular play of rushing towards the service line, half following a return and charging the net is almost is kind of irritating to, to an opponent. And I think that's that's kind of the point. One of the points of Federer doing it, it's slightly dismissive of the opponent's serve. It's it's almost taking the mick out of them. And saying, "Look, your serves nothing, mate. I'm just going to come in and and and, and fool around. I don't yeah, care. So, I'm going to mansour Barami." Kevin Anderson, wasn't it? I mean, Kevin Anderson, the, the serve is by far his greatest weapon, and uh, Roger Federer was laughing in the face of it. It was, um, yeah, that that match for me was the one of one of the week where I thought, "Hang on, hang on a second. What, what's he doing here? And how is it working so well?" Uh, uh, you know. Kevin Anderson was completely impotent in that match. It was it was extraordinary, and I think that was the one that made Federer go, "Okay, this really is something that that can work. If it can work against Kevin Anderson, why wouldn't I try it against uh, against a less strong server?" Well, I think that the one other thing to bear in mind as well, we, we say he's invented the shot. If you actually go back. 23 years and look at Stefan Edberg running to the title at the US Open and the year before against uh, against Jim Courier in 1991 where he absolutely thrashed Courier. This is basically what he did. Maybe maybe we didn't notice it as much because it wasn't as unusual to to charge the net like that, but but Edberg just just was relentless in in chipping charging, you know, taking the ball early. I mean the, there's a the typical Federer flourish about the way he does it, and and he's literally half following the ball. I mean, it's not even an exaggeration to say that. Um, but but there was there was a moment, and I I said this at the time on 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 Twitter, is that uh, Edberg wasn't courtside, and it did just go through my head. Has he possessed him? <laughs> no, is the answer to that, David categorically but I do as I said I do right. think he would have been ever so happy I think he probably phoned him with glee and said well done Roger you've you've um you've embodied my spirit very very well um yeah it was it was it was interesting and then he was asked about Edberg in the press conference afterwards and he said yes I I do want to give credit to to Edberg Generally, he's been great, but I'd also like to give a lot of credit to my to my new racket. He's he switched rackets. He's playing with a larger head. Well, Catherine, and, uh, wait a minute. Should we hear from him? It's moving well. I think all week. I think that's always crucial for me to be, you know, getting out of the blocks early, uh, fast. You know, understand when to come forward, and when I do come forward, that is explosive. And uh, throughout the week, it's been it's been very good. I've been been very pleased. Well, I, honestly, I think the I'd like to give Stefan a lot of credit, and he has helped me in a big way. But I think the the backhand's better since I also have a bigger he- racket head. Uh, you know, I really think that was the change because it happened at the same time. Um, but now I feel like I can I just don't shank it as much anymore. It's a more of a clean hit, and of course, Stefan wants me to play up in the court and um, move in as much as possible, but in a clever way. Yeah, so he's he's been very interesting to work with, and we'll see him uh, in the next few days when he arrives in New York. Um, well, I did it once in Madrid when I won because the player box was right on the side of the court. Um, same same thing here. I just saw the girls and my wife and my coach. And I was just like, well, it's just a, a short stroll. Let's quickly go over there and high five and, you know, see everybody when when it's still, um, how do you say, 
still hot, uh, you know, when it's all happening. So that that was the reason because the player box was just very convenient. Now I got the confidence, I got the matches, and I'm actually still um, feeling really fresh even after this week because the matches have been rather short and uh, and because I didn't play both tournaments, uh, I can really pace myself next week and uh, see how much practice I actually really need. So there was the man himself, Catherine Whitaker, and Roger Federer. First of all a very happy man and, and as you were saying uh, that element of, of the racket it, it is interesting isn't it to see somebody who's made a tangible change to the equipment that they use which in itself is is a quite risky thing for a tennis player at that level to do and and detailing a clear difference and and I did think during that final I've never seen Roger Federer hit the backhand as cleanly and as aggressively in, in the drive, and I'm not talking about the charging of the net here, I'm just talking about the, the swipe of the backhand, he's hitting it with the same degree of aggression as he does with the forehand. Yeah, he's clearly got, he's clearly got, not only is he hitting it better, but he's clearly got uh, an enhanced confidence in it, hasn't he? Because he's going for shots that he on the backhand that he might not have done before, I think. And, and he's shanking significantly fewer on the backhand. He did have a bit of a tendency that, you know, when the backhand went wrong, it, it spectacular went wrong and it, it was would be uh, a shank. Um, yeah, it's it, it, we've seen it probably backfire. Well, you, you only hear about a racket change when it either makes a spectacular difference or spectacularly backfires. So I suppose that skews our, our impression of, of how big a, an impact a racket change can make. But I mean, Djokovic famously changed his racket and uh, it didn't go well for him for a little while. Dimitrov, I, I mean, he's not himself talked that much about uh, over the impact the racket change has had, but it's hard not to think that's not been a factor um, in his uh, slightly well, not slightly, his difficult year. Um, and here we have Federer saying, it, 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 saying yes, Stefan Edberg has done a lot, but uh, it's it's largely down down to this new racket I've got. And, and, you know, who am I? I'm not going to argue with Roger. It obviously has made an enormous difference to him, and particularly on that backhand. Nice to see him go and uh, celebrate with his family, wasn't it? And it did amuse me where he was saying uh, uh, that it was convenient. You know, they were in, in the corner. It was a short walk, so I thought I'd go and celebrate with them. Yeah. Also made me laugh to watch a, a clip afterwards, uh, a, a video clip of one of his twin daughters saying, Papa, you need a hat and giving him a cap to wear for the rest of the uh, presentation. <laughs> It was hot, David. It was very hot. She sounds like a smart cookie to me because it was every, everybody in that stadium, frankly, should have been wearing a hat. It was that whole sequence of events uh, made me hoot with laughter, actually, hearing him talk about it afterwards, saying, yeah, I don't usually celebrate with my family, but they happened to be there and it was only a short stroll. So I thought, <laughs> I thought, why not? Yeah, absolutely. Now, the big question is, I think, does this actually mean anything for the US Open. You know, it is... How many times have we got excited about watching Roger Federer in this sort of form over the last few years, whether it be a three best of three set uh, Masters tournament, uh, whether it be a run during a Grand Slam where he's produced his full majesty, and obviously the most extreme example of that being at Wimbledon a few weeks ago where he beat Murray in still the best tennis I've ever seen. I still can't think of anything to rival that, and yet he lost 
relatively straightforwardly to Novak Djokovic in the final. And and that has happened a lot. He hasn't won a Grand Slam on a hard court, I think, for about five years now. So everybody's getting very, very uh, buoyed by his form. Anybody who likes him wants him to win. And I think a lot of commentators and journalists and pundits are saying, right, well, he's going to go on and take this form in and all the rest of it. But where is the actual tangible evidence to say that he's going to? Where is the where is the reason to believe that that something will be different this time? Well, we've we've just watched it for a week. The evidence. Yeah, and I know that doesn't necessarily week, mean but, it's going to I mean, carry through to the U.S. Open. But certainly, this is a different Roger Federer on hard courts than than we've seen for the last two or three years. I would say. I'd say there's sufficient evidence to say that. Yes, we don't know whether that will carry through to best of five sets over two weeks uh, in a Grand Slam. We don't know that. But I do think it's a slightly different prospect this year. Um, Just because, I mean, as I say, not just because of how he's playing, but he seems so confident in how he's playing. He seems confident that he can go for anything and he'll make it. Uh, The other factor, I think, is that Djokovic is certainly not at his best and... He's worried, I think, Djokovic. I I see worry in him. He's worried about his form. It's not where he wants it to be. Um, And yes, the conditions in Cincinnati don't suit him as as much as New York, but the conditions in Montreal suited him very well. They're slightly more similar to New York. And uh, yes, it was a good tournament for him, but he's world number one. He's, He's head and shoulders above everyone else. Not winning the tournament won't be satisfactory for him and he said in his press conference yesterday he said I'm not happy with my form I'm not happy with where I am before the US Open so that's Federer's probably number one rival uh, is slightly depleted and his number two rival Andy Murray he's got the measure of at the moment so yes all of those stats about the last time he won won a Grand Slam and Hardcore are relevant but then there are plenty, plenty of other stats, you know, more recent stats, facts on paper to say he's a really big contender for this Grand Slam title. You mentioned Djokovic. Let's hear from him. Of course, it's disappointing at this, at this stage to uh, reflect on the match and could have done some things better. But, you know, I lost to a better player, no question about it. So I have to deal with it. US Open is behind a corner and I have to already uh, turn the next page and hopefully I can do well there. You know, I've done well till the tiebreak for a set, and after that, he was, uh, was just a better player. Made some double faults, dropped my series game. It's just uh, the way I've played this week, it's great that I managed to reach the finals. Played a couple of good matches, a couple of uh, not such a good matches. You know, I'm still not very happy with my with my form and uh, with my game, but I have a week to work on it. And uh, conditions in, uh, in New York suit me a little bit better, so I look forward to it. So there's Novak Djokovic, Catherine, doing his very best to be magnanimous and to... to Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Here's a cool fact. 
A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello, tennis podcast listeners. David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Frankly, I think just get through those sort of tricky press conferences where he's clearly knackered and and he doesn't really fancy uh, talking about it too much. But, you know, that's the way it is. And and he he is short of of his best form. I I agree with you. I think there are question marks over his fitness. I think where I would hesitate to read too much into it is I think we've had that situation before with him and and a week off and a bit of practice added to the every other day nature of Grand Slam tournaments means that I think that that I wouldn't get too carried away. I don't know about that. I, I When was the last time Djokovic went to a Grand Slam short of form? Well, it was US Open last year and he lost in, in the semi-finals. He was thrashed by Kane Ishikori. So I'm not sure about that. He is a player that... that you, you, I think you can read into the 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 form in in the warm up tournaments for him. I mean, yes, there is, of course, the element of he quite often, you know, for Australian Open and Wimbledon doesn't play a warm up tournament, so that sort of skews skews the statistics a little bit. But I do think it's a factor how he plays in uh, in these events, and also it's a factor that he's really clearly to me he's concerned himself. If he was brushing it off and saying, doesn't really matter, I've got all the matches I need, I know it'll come together when it really matters, I would be convinced by that because he knows best. He's not saying that. He looked worried to me yesterday and uh, he said, yeah, well, we heard what he said and uh, and the impression I got sitting in that room was he wasn't giving me confidence, certainly not in the way that Roger Federer was, put it that way. No, I suppose we wouldn't expect him to, given the fact that he'd lost the match and, and Federer had won and, and so forth. But but I know what you mean. I know what you mean. He's he's searching at the moment, isn't he, Novak Djokovic? He's searching for form. But I think it's also worth bearing in mind the fact that he withstood that horrendous disappointment at the French Open of, of losing to Stan Wawrinka and still came back and won Wimbledon. He did, but that was mental resilience. I don't doubt his mental resilience. I think that the the the, um, the problem here is he's genuinely not playing brilliantly. I mean, yes, 
he he'll chalk that one. You know, it's a final, but he did not play well throughout the week last week. He he was really really below par at times, and I, I think that's a worry. And he was trying to put as much of that as possible down to conditions, but he did say. Uh, in his press yesterday, um, he he was surprised and just pleased that he had made the final, given how he was playing. So, yeah, I, I'm not questioning his mental resilience to come back from this. What I'm questioning is whether he can find his hardcore form in time. Yes, well, it is. Uh, uh, it really does tee things up nicely for the US Open on the men's side now, this doesn't it? Because Murray's won a title and beaten Djokovic finally. Um, Djokovic has reached two finals, but he hasn't won them, so he's not dominant, although he's won the last Grand Slam. Federer has now come out of his break and played tennis from another solar system and is is just playing extraordinarily well. So, wow, we've got a heck of a, a couple of weeks to look forward to. Oh, it's going to be sensational, isn't it? I'm itching to get on that plane to New York, frankly. Um, yeah, it couldn't have been scripted better for a, for an open um, and thrilling US Open, I don't think. I, I, it, it's refreshing. that I, 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 think, I think Djokovic is the favourite still. How can he not be the favourite, um, given what he's achieved and given how head and shoulders he is above everyone in terms of ranking? You know, he's he's... By far and away, the world number one. There's 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 clear daylight between him and the rest. But uh, it it just it just couldn't have been scripted better for an entertaining two weeks. I don't think. No, I, don't, I think you're right there. Now, uh, Catherine Serena Williams had some wobbles over the course of of the week. I was commentating on her for BT Sport. You were obviously reporting on the men's tournament over there in Cincinnati, but I, I paid close attention to the women's event, and and she was she was struggling throughout the week. She was struggling, I thought, just as much, if not more, than Novak Djokovic, both physically and psychologically and emotionally with this whole weight of of trying for the US Open but suddenly when she got into that final she hit another zone altogether because Simona Halep played pretty well and pushed her particularly in the second set but I think that that win for Serena Williams was a was a great weight lifted off herself because I think she suddenly just relaxed a bit in the final and and I I would be concerned now for every other player in that draw even more than than you would have been before because she is she's firing now yeah I think that win is tremendously significant actually um you're right she didn't she didn't look brilliant throughout it was sort of a similar story to her yeah, well, certainly a French Open in Wimbledon, which was, you know, she was going down early in matches. She was looking iffy early, but she was digging deep and turning things around. Um, and that was the story throughout a lot of her her matches going through this tournament. And then, but the fact that she managed to turn that around and just play pretty much brilliantly throughout against the one player that should have challenged her most throughout the week, that's a tremendously good sign for Serena Williams going into into the US Open. She knows she can play her best when she needs to. And that, you know, what greater weapon can you have going into a Grand Slam? Because Serena's best is the best. So if she can get her best out of the locker when she needs it, then she, all other things being equal, should win this Grand Slam and, and the calendar year Grand Slam, shouldn't she? Yeah, should do on paper. Well, we've got... 
several questions from our listeners uh, of, of little things they want to ask us about. Just before we get on to that, Catherine, an email press release has just dropped from the ATP just while we were talking with a complete review of the Nick Kyrgios incident and uh, and their further sanctions. They've just announced that they found him to have committed a major offence, aggravated behaviour uh, after a, rev- a review of his comments in the second round match against Stan Wawrinka. They have now imposed a further fine of $25,000 as well as a suspension for a period of 28 days from any ATP sanctioned event. However, the fine and suspension are withheld on the condition that over the next six-month period, ending 24th of February 2016, that he does not incur any fines for verbal or physical abuse at ATP-sanctioned tournaments or doesn't accumulate fines totaling more than $5,000 for any other offence at ATP events. If uh, if he manages to meet those conditions, the penalties will be dismissed. And Gail Bradshaw, the executive vice president of rules and competition, is saying he feels that Nick Kyrgios needs to earn his way out of the additional sanctions. So it's quite an interesting one, that, isn't it? I, I've, I don't think we've ever heard of anything quite like that before uh, in terms of, of a sanction against a player and, and, and a, a system of, of dealing them out, i.e. you've still got a chance here not to have them. But it's it's it, it it resides on your ability to behave yourself. Just I mean, just off the top of my head, without with minimal time to process it, I think that sounds really. He's essentially on parole, isn't he? Or, or he's been given a suspended sentence. He's being incentivized to change his ways, um, which sounds really sensible. To me, I, 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 I think it is. I think it is sensible uh, in that regard. Um, I, I think the one, the one sad thing about all this, and there are many sad things. Of course, uh, there are many disappointing things, uh, depending on where you look at it from. I think inevitably he's probably going to become less fun to watch. I think he uh, certainly in the short term. I think he's probably going to over um, compensate. Uh, and and end up because and I think I, I think we saw that a little bit in the last couple of matches he played he he didn't want to cause any more trouble so we barely heard a peep out of him and I think the problem is he's one of those players that if he is quiet and inverted commas focused he doesn't play as well um, and well look he's got a big learning experience ahead of him but um, those are the sanctions and uh, quite an interesting one I, I think on balance I think it's it's about right. Yeah, I, I th- I, that's that's my first impression that 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 sounds about right. I mean, I mean, the everything you say those those downsides, I agree with those. But I think those would would probably apply whatever the whatever the sanctions the ATP imposed on him. I mean, he he obviously has to change his ways, and if he's not able to do that whilst maintaining the the character on the, on the tennis court. Um, then so be it, I suppose. I, I think it's a shame, but I also think it's on on him, isn't it? I mean, there are players. I mean, I I I keep saying I think Kokonakis is is the model for this. He's got all the flair. Well, perhaps not all the flair, but I I find him really intriguing to watch. He's got swagger. He's got attitude, but he's always on the right side side of the line. 
or always has been so far and I get the impression he he knows exactly where that line is and has no intention of crossing it so it will be a shame if he swings too far in the other other direction and can't find a way to maintain that swagger whilst being a decent human being I suppose because it is possible it is possible um and and I also think if he can't find that balance his tennis might suffer because as you say that's what he that's what he thrives on that's what powers his brand of tennis so I hope he can find a way to to find the balance between it all but I certainly think it'll take him time if if he if he indeed is able to do it at all yeah, no, I think that's that's uh, very fair. Now, uh, a few points uh, made by our listeners just before we uh, finish for this edition of the Tennis Podcast. We've got Tabarak, uh, Tab Farmer, who says, would really like to hear your take on Dimitrov's free fall and perhaps Chorich and Zverev's chances of being the next great. Well, I think we might just... Uh, uh, have to uh, hesitate before we start talking about next greats again because our record is a little bit poor just at the moment. Uh, given yeah, we don't want to go jinxy anyone again, do we, David? Yeah, we spent three years effectively sponsoring Grigor Dimitrov. Uh, but uh, anyway, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I find it really hard to 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 know what to make of Grigor at the moment. But I, I personally was quite enthused by the way he played against Andy Murray. It was one of the first times I've seen him play like Grigor Dimitrov in probably since the last time he played Andy Murray at uh, at the Australian Open. He was exciting again. He was dangerous again, um, and he should have won that match. But he 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 dearly needs to find some direction and. And just he needs to find a system of winning reliable points, um, not just not just using his flair. Yeah, for me, I, I agree with you. There, there were some positives to take from that match for the periods that he was winning. He was a delight to watch, as we know he can be. But I think there were more negatives than positives or certainly the negatives were were bigger and heavier than than the positives to take from that match Pete Holterman the um the media manager um at uh, in Cincinnati came around the press room afterwards to check on it, it interest from the press in in speaking to Dimitrov after the match and nobody nobody dared request to speak to him but as one of one of the journalists in the room said could you bring him up just so we could give him a hug because <laughs> That is sort of, sort of, you know, it's hard not to feel for him, isn't it? But he should be winning. You know, he's not 17 and learning anymore. I mean, he is still learning, but he, he the learning curve shouldn't be as steep as it is. I've, he should have won that match. And the thing is, I don't see that match happening again in six months' time and him then winning it. I don't see him pushing on, taking things from, from these experiences and, and building on them. I, I If in that exact same scenario next week, I would bet on the exact same thing happening again. And that's, that's the issue for me. I mean, analysing how well he played is sort of neither here nor there. We've known Grigor Dimitrov can play tennis like that, as you say, for for years and years. And we've banged on about it for years and years. That's not the point yeah I think that's fair uh, now Chorich and Zverev played each other is the other part of the question and uh, and Chorich won it in a third set tiebreak. it was exciting to watch 
the future of that. And they're so di- they're slightly different those two, uh, but it was like a match between One Direction members, wasn't it? <laughs> they 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 just look like boy band uh, members. Don't say One Direction, David. That reference will be out of date before you know it. They've split up, haven't you heard? Well, you know, um, I'm I'm still believer, or a, or a believer. <laughs> No, I didn't say that. I did say that. Um, Yeah, it was great. And it was great to see it be so competitive as well. That went to a third set tie break. Um, And uh, that made me realise that Zverev's really pushed on a bit, actually. I thought Choric would would win that quite convincingly because he's just had that much more experience at senior level. He's been around that much longer. He's got those significant wins. You know, he's beaten Murray, he's beaten Rafa. Um, But I was really impressed with Zverev. um, And I think they are exciting, both of them. Um, but I also think there's an awful long way to go. I would say that I think the uh, Chorich's relationship with um, Thomas Johansson is fantastic. I've seen them practice a couple of times. I think that's a fantastically successful coaching relationship on on the tour just now, and uh, I think it's really exciting, actually, and I think he's really getting the best out of Chorich, and, and his progression at the moment is exactly where it needs to be. Yeah, Johansson, solid guy and obviously a, a Grand Slam champion, so he knows his way around. Uh, Ali wants to know, is Serena winning a slam good for women's tennis or just good for Serena Williams? Now, I think it's good for women's tennis. I think it's good for tennis, uh, full stop. And, and the reason I would say that, Ali, is because it takes coverage of tennis into other realms. It isn't just going to be the tennis writers. It isn't even just going to be the sports writers. It is going to be everybody uh, covering this storyline because it is a major, major deal. Yep, I would agree with that. I also think there's many other reasons why she's good for women's tennis. I think for those that would perhaps want to dismiss women's tennis as being sort of weak or feeble or, you know, whatever it is, she is none of those things. She's also not, you know, made any kind of living out of the way she looks. If anything, she's had to succeed in spite of people's sort of disparaging comments about this. You know, she's not a Maria Sharapova. She's not certainly not an unattractive woman in any way, shape or form, but she's not the cookie-cutter... Um, you know, tall, blonde athlete that a lot of the world wants female athletes to be. She is, she's done it her way. I think she's fantastic for women's tennis. She might not always be likeable, but I think she gives women's tennis a gravitas that nobody can ignore, absolutely nobody. Um, I think her physicality, her skill, her determination is, I mean, just endlessly good for women's sport everywhere i think she's a a beacon for women's sport that doesn't mean she's necessarily always likable that's a completely different kettle of fish but to to even suggest that she might not be good for women's tennis or women's sport is preposterous i think george wants to know if we think um nadal's year is comparable to federer's in 2013 and murray's last year and i suppose the addendum to that question is can he like them come again I actually think there's a lot of similarities certainly to Federer in 2013 yeah I would agree I was thinking about that this week actually huge similarities um yeah but what happens from now on I don't know but I would certainly agree that there are enormous similarities probably more so to Federer 2013 uh, than Murray last year I would say although there's you know there's, there's the obvious comparison of a significant dip in form but Murray last year felt like a blip Federer 
in 2013 felt like the end. Yeah, uh, well, I, I can't add to that. That's brilliantly put. And uh, can I just remind you as well, though, even though Federer in 2013 felt like the end, I can remember somebody saying that he would take people's breath away again. But anyway, enough of that. Uh, now, Matthew McGee says, if not Serena, then who? Halep, Bencic? I actually think, Matthew, I think you've probably named the two most likely players to to cause a problem. And if Bencic is fit, and if Bencic plays the sort of tennis she did in Toronto, I think she could go all the way because she's got no obvious weakness apart from a slightly dodgy second serve, which uh, which is attackable. But her her innate understanding of where the ball's going and where to put it back. I mean, I don't know that sounds so basic, but she, she just she has just mastered that, and uh, and she's also got a fearlessness about her. And oh, it's it's not basic, David. It's absolutely not basic. I can tell you that. From... But you know what I mean. I, I, the way I, I, I'm summing it up in a, in a way that sounds very basic. I yes, mean, yes. Uh, the ball's going over here. Put it over there. But she just has almost like a sixth sense the way she plays tennis. Yeah, the way Martina Hingis used to, the way Murray does, I think, the way Federer does. I, I, I would completely agree with that. I think, I think it's going to be tough for her to to back up what she's already done. I mean, I would apply what I said going into Cincinnati, which is that to say, just please take all pressure off off her shoulders because she's already overachieved for this stage in her career. Um, if she can get to the second week I will be immensely impressed with her and and then I and then I would say I think if she does get to the second week once she's there wow could she cause some problems for everybody else that's there um but I I'm loath to put too much pressure on her shoulders because she's already completely exceeded my expectations for a I called her a 19 year old in our last podcast I mean how dare I she's an 18 year old it's all <laughs> just so I'm so sorry, Belinda. You're even more brilliantly prodigious than I than I uh, than I thought this time a week ago. Um, so, please let's not put too much pressure on her. But equally, though I'm not necessarily expecting her to do brilliantly, I really think she could. Oh, I'm going to put loads of pressure on you, Belinda. I think you can go all the way. But there we are. Uh, now, I think that's about it for this edition of the Tennis Pad Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph. Just a, a quick word about uh, the Champions Tennis Tournament at the Royal Albert Hall, where they have just announced the additions of Mats Volander, Henri Leconte and Mansour Barami to a cast list that also includes Tim Henman and John McEnroe. Second to the 6th of December, fantastic event. We're biased. We both work there, but we would go there buying tickets even if we didn't. So go to championstennis.co.uk and you can get some tickets to see McEnroe, Philander, Lacons, Barami, you name it. They'll all be there. Second to the 6th of December. That, Catherine Whitaker, is about all we've got time for. Where are you off to next? The, the airport. Pretty sharpish. Uh, but uh, after that, New York. New York it is. And we'll speak to you there. <laughs> Mom 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.